Beethoven Orchestra View. Orchestra View? Where's that? You change, you change four score and seven to to eighty-seven. Oh, that view is tremendous. A landing was made this morning on the coast of France by troops of the Allied Expeditionary Force. I don't blame them for dyeing your hair, I said, but they waited too long to embalm it. Time now for spinning my dad's vinyl. Here with all his skips, scratches, and pops is my dad, Frank Beccarello. Thanks, sweetie. And thank you for tuning in to episode 66 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Welcome to Jazz Appreciation Month, and what better way to celebrate than with the greatest jazz recordings of all time collection from the Franklin Mint. Now we'll start the month with the versatile saxophone, and we'll feature one of the true innovators on the instrument and jazz in general, Coleman Hawkins. So get ready for an ever-evolving sound in volume 66, Sax Masters Hawkins. Now what I like about the Franklin Mint Collection is the great booklet they include in each box set. So I will introduce each tune with these notes. It also gives you a clue what to listen for in each cut. Hello Lola finds Hawkins guesting with an ad hoc group of musicians assembled by Red McKenzie, musical entrepreneur, singer, and virtuoso of the comb and paper from which he managed to extract an amazingly trumpet-like sound. McKenzie's solo and an effective one by Pee Wee Russell playing clarinet set the stage for Hawkins's two torrid choruses. This is Hawkins in a transitional stage. His attack still bears traces of the tenor saxophone's slapped tonguing legacy, but his long lines and effortless swing herald future developments. All horns return for a jam ending on the last eight bars following Glenn Miller's uncharacteristically hot trombone chorus. Glenn Miller? <laughs> Ad hoc indeed. This was recorded on November 14th, 1929. <laughs>
there is the Mound City Blue Blowers with Hello, Lola. On tenor sax, of course, Coleman Hawkins. Pops Foster was on acoustic bass. Eddie Condon on banjo. Pee Wee Russell on clarinet. Gene Krupa on drums. Jack Bland on guitar. And Red McKenzie is listed as performer, but actually he was playing the wax paper on a coma precursor to the kazoo. You obviously heard that in the song. And on trombone, Glenn Miller. It was written by Red McKenzie and Gordon Means. Okay, why this record for this episode? Now, even though I'm partial to the trumpet, I know how heavy saxophone plays in the genre pun intended. So I thought starting with this collection of four saxophone greats would be the best place to start for Jazz Appreciation Month, and the Coleman Hawkins record is the first in the box set, and you'll understand why as we learn more about him throughout this episode. Plus, we are talking about an artist who started his professional career more than 100 years ago. And I've also told you before that this Franklin Mint collection means to me what it means to me and my musical connection to my dad. I started the process of buying the collection and and he went through the process of buying several more, didn't quite finish it, and now I have that collection back. All right, next up, Swinging in the Groove, a Hawkins line based on the chord changes of crazy rhythm, shows his ability to maintain his equilibrium at a tempo that would leave a lesser musician gasping. Hawkins warms up with two choruses before spots by pianist Freddie Johnson and drummer Maurice Van Cleef. Then Hawkins returns for three more choruses of mounting intensity. The last two contain dazzling breaks. It was recorded on June 14, 1938. Thank you. 
And there is the Hawkins Trio swinging in the groove with Maurice Van Cleef on drums and Freddie Johnson on piano. All right, let's learn about the album that I have chosen for this episode. The entire collection is various Jazz Masters of the Sax. It's on the Franklin Mint Record Society label. We are listening to FM Jazz 013. There are three other numbers, of course, in the box set. The series is Institute of Jazz Studies Official Archive Collection, the greatest jazz recordings of all time. It is a four vinyl LP compilation red vinyl box set. Its uh, country of release is Sweden. It was released in 1983 and its genre is jazz. Now, we are listening to selections from both sides of disc one. We will hear seven of the 12 songs on this record. And believe me, I had a tough time choosing those seven. In fact, so tough, I chose to include an extra song in this episode. I usually only uh, include six. I do want to read the first two paragraphs of that booklet's liner notes. In 1840, when Adolf Sachs combined elements of the brass and woodwind families to create an instrumental hybrid, he could not have predicted the musical purposes to which his invention would be applied. Yet sax had stumbled upon perhaps the ideal jazz instrument. The range and flexibility of the saxophone, and above all, its ability to convey the musical individuality of the player, are perfectly suited to the most personal of musics, jazz. It is therefore no surprise that after an early dominance by trumpeters and coronetists, most of the style setters in jazz have been saxophonists. Lester Young, Charlie Parker, John Coltrane, and Ornette Coleman all changed the course of the music. Despite the revolutionary changes these players affected, all had some model for the use of their instruments in jazz. The staggering achievement of Coleman Hawkins is that he almost single-handedly carved a niche for the tenor saxophone as a solo instrument, with little precedent other than its use in marching bands or for humorous slap-tonguing effects in vaudeville shows. And after establishing the instrument's jazz legitimacy, he continued to explore its potential, remaining a dominant force for over five decades of musical change. Okay, let's see what Discogs.com has this collection valued at. The lowest at $19.34, highest at $29.37, with a median at $24.46. It was last sold on Discogs.com on January 22nd, 2022, so pretty recently. I didn't really find any copies, though, on Amazon or eBay, which was uh, kind of surprising. Now, my dad's collection is in good condition. There's not much hiss or crackle, although there are a couple of uh, uh, light ones, especially on this saxophone-only song that's coming up. You can hear a little bit more hiss. The cover is also in good condition, along with the internal booklet, uh, which is so important when I put these episodes together. This gives me the dates that they were recorded, who was on the sessions, and the information that I'm using to introduce each of the songs. So um, I'm going to value my dad's box set at $12. Now, one of the most recognizable tunes in jazz, Body and Soul, Hawkins' greatest hit, 
not only reaffirmed his position in the jazz world after his return from Europe in 1939, but also brought his name to the attention of a wider non-jazz audience. It represents the culmination of the Hawkins ballad style. The performance was completely impromptu. Hawkins reluctantly tacked it onto the end of a recording session. His two choruses are filled with melodic invention. The original theme is suggested only in the first eight measures. Why this innovative recording should so totally have captivated the public is a question that puzzled its creator. Hawkins once said, It's the first and only record I ever heard of that all the squares dig as well as the jazz people. And I don't understand how or why because I was making notes all the way and I wasn't making a melody for the squares. I played it like I play everything else and and yet they went for it. (laughs) Body and Soul was recorded October 11th, 1939. Thank you. 
the Hawkins Orchestra with Body and Soul. William Oscar Smith on acoustic bass, Eustace Moore and Jackie Fields on alto saxophone, Arthur Herbert on drums, Earl Hardy on trombone, Joe Guy and Tommy Lindsay on trumpet, and Gene Rogers on piano. Okay, let's learn about the featured artist on this episode, Coleman Hawkins. Coleman Randolph Hawkins, nicknamed Hawk and sometimes Bean, was born November 21st, 1904 in St. Joseph, Missouri. He was an American jazz tenor saxophonist, one of the first prominent jazz musicians on his instrument. There were some tenor players before him, but the instrument was not an acknowledged jazz horn. Hawkins biographer John Chilton described the prevalent styles of tenor saxophone solos prior to Hawkins as mooing and rubbery belches. He was the first to tailor his method of improvisation to the saxophone rather than imitate the techniques of the clarinet. In his youth, he played piano and cello and started playing saxophone at the age of nine. By the age of 14, he was playing around eastern Kansas. Hawkins' first significant gig was with Mamie Smith Jazz Hounds in 1921 to 1923. Hawkins joined Fletcher Henderson's orchestra, where he remained until 1934, sometimes doubling on clarinet and bass saxophone. Hawkins' playing changed significantly during Louis Armstrong's tenure with the Henderson Orchestra, which was 1924-25. In the late 1920s, Hawkins participated in some of the earliest integrated recording sessions with the Mound City Blue Blowers. During his time with Henderson, he became a star soloist with increasing prominence on records. In late 1934, Hawkins accepted an invitation to play with Jack Hylton's orchestra in London and toured Europe as a soloist until 1939. Following his return to the United States, he quickly reestablished himself as one of the leading figures on the instrument by adding innovations to his earlier style. On October 11, 1939, he recorded a two-chorus performance of the standard Body and Soul, which he had been performing at Burt Kelly's New York Avenue, Kelly's Stables. In a landmark recording of the swing era, captured as an afterthought at the session, Hawkins ignores almost all of the melody, with only the first four bars stated in a recognizable fashion. Hawkins' departure from the melodic themes of the tune, use of upper chord intervals, and implied passing chords in that recording have been described as one of the early tremors of bebop. Hawkins always had a keen ear for new talent and styles, and he was the leader on what is generally considered to have been the first ever bebop recording session on February 16, 1944, including Dizzy Gillespie, Don Bias, Clyde Hart, Oscar Pettiford, and Max Roach. In the 1950s, Hawkins performed with musicians such as Red Allen and Roy Eldridge, with whom he appeared in the 1957 Newport Jazz Festival. In the 1960s, Hawkins appeared regularly at the Village Vanguard in Manhattan. In 1960, he participated in the recording of Max Roach's We Insist Suite, part of the political and social linkages developing between jazz and the civil rights movement. Hawkins' virtuosic, arpeggiated approach to improvisation with his characteristic rich, emotional, and vibrato-laden tonal style was the main influence on a generation of tenor players. It was shortly after this busy period that Hawkins fell into the grip of depression and heavy drinking, and his recording output began to wane. His last recording was in 1967. Hawkins died of liver disease on May 19, 1969. Next up, music from the ever-present George Gershwin. 
The Man I Love, originally issued on a 12-inch 78 RPM record, gives us a chance to hear Hawkins at somewhat greater length than his recordings on the customary 10-inch discs. The Gershwin classic, usually played as a ballad, is here taken at a brisk pace. Pianist Eddie Haywood swings the first chorus. He shares the second with bass innovator Oscar Pettiford, whose breathing can be heard punctuating each phrase. Hawkins, faintly audible playing harmony for the first choruses, glides into his solo, deftly disposing of the chord changes with an endless flow of logical ideas. Perhaps the most striking feature of Hawkins' long statement is its ease of execution. As he once told George Heffer, none of the hard work that goes into thinking should show up in your playing, unquote. The song was recorded on December 23rd, 1943. Thank you. 
Hawkins Swing 4 with The Man I Love, with Shelly Mann on drums, Eddie Haywood on piano, and Oscar Pettiford on bass. Now, we're going to go right into our bonus cut for this episode. Picasso is an unaccompanied saxophone solo, the first such recording in jazz. It is based on body and soul, although Hawkins has gone to great lengths to avoid any obvious clues. Hawkins' highly abstract interpretation was by no means a casual exercise. As producer Norman Granz describes the session, Hawkins sat down and for two hours worked it all out on the piano. He then recorded it on tenor for another two hours. Always the perfectionist, he still wasn't satisfied. So a month later, we recorded the piece again. And finally, after another four-hour session, got the take we wanted. In recent years, unaccompanied horn, horn performances have become relatively common in jazz, but here, as in so many areas, Coleman Hawkins was far ahead of his time. This was probably recorded in 1948. <laughs> 
the solo saxophone of Coleman Hawkins with Picasso. Time now for this episode's interesting side note, and it has to do with Coleman's contributions to jazz. As I was earning my Google doctorate on everything Coleman Hawkins, I kept reading, he was the first, he was the first to do this or that. So, from jazzstandards.com, in assessing Hawkins' contributions to jazz in his book, American Musicians, 56 Portraits in Jazz, Whitney Bailiot says, Hawkins invented the tenor saxophone in the way Richardson invented the novel. He took an often misunderstood instrument and made it work right from the first time. It took Hawkins 10 years to figure out completely what the instrument was capable of. He hit upon using an unusually wide mouthpiece and a hard reed, and by 1933, he had developed a tone that had never before been heard on a saxophone. This from Britannica.com. Hawkins was one of the first jazz horn players with a full understanding of intricate chord progressions, and he influenced many of the great saxophonists of the swing era, notably Ben Webster and Chu Berry, as well as such leading figures of modern jazz as Sonny Rollins and John Coltrane. Hawkins' deep, full-bodied tone and quick vibrato were the expectant style on jazz tenor until the advent of Lester Young, and even after Young's appearance, many players continued to absorb Hawkins' approach. Everywhere I looked talked about body and soul. In his 1990 book, The Song of the Hawk, The Life and Recordings of Coleman Hawkins, John Chilton describes the session. Hawk decided to treat the song informally, making it a two-chorus ballad feature for himself. Backed by what was the simplest of arrangements, Coleman Hawkins achieved the apotheosis of his entire career, creating a solo that remains the most perfectly conceived and executed example of jazz tenor playing ever recorded. Now, on to one of my favorite jazz ballads, and Coleman makes it so pretty. Mood Indigo features one of those dream pairings of jazz greats that often work better on paper than in the studio. But here, Hawkins and Duke Ellington do not disappoint. After tenderly stating the famous Ellington melody, Hawkins takes off on a flight of fancy full of delicate ruminations and quick asides. And when the ensemble returns, Hawkins continues to explore every conceivable variation of this well-worked theme against Ellington's colorful backdrop. It was recorded, recorded August 18, 1962.
and that is Mood Indigo. Joining Coleman is trombonist Lawrence Brown, on alto sax Johnny Hodges, string bass Aaron Bell, drums Sam Woodyard, and on piano and the composer Duke Ellington. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. This was always my go-to collection when I just wanted to listen to some great jazz. Record after record filled with it, as it states, the greatest jazz recordings of all time. And I'm certainly looking forward to the rest of Jazz Appreciation Month as we get to hear more from this Franklin Mint collection. So, finally, Go Little Liza. A catchy gospel-flavored song features Hawkins with his highly compatible working group. He romps his way through this one, preaching joyously and showing no hint of the decline that would soon set in. The sidemen have something to say here, too. Major Holly bows his bass and hums simultaneously, and Tommy Flanagan, yet another modern pianist favored by Hawkins, is heard to good advantage. Hawkins, who was his own severest critic, was very fond of this recording, which was recorded September 9th, 
There's the quartet with Go Little Liza. On acoustic bass was Major Holly. On drums, Eddie Locke. And piano was Tommy Flanagan. And there you have selections from one record from one box set of the Franklin Mint greatest jazz recordings of all time. So thanks for tuning into Volume 66, Saxmaster Hawkins, however you did. If you want more information about this show, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops as we continue Jazz Appreciation Month for Volume 67, Duke, a Jazz Classic Part 1. Until then, go with the flow, my friends. (laughs) 